0: Hi, it's Dr. Steve Albrecht. Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast. I am the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. You can always get information at library20.com. My topic for this half hour is about Disney, Walt Disney specifically, and the Disney way for customer service. There's lots of examples of this online and I pulled up a number of articles on the internet Some of them came from the Disney Institute, some of them came from Disney fans, people that are consultants that use Uh, Disney methods as part of their training approach. So first and foremost, I am not connected in any way, shape, or form with Disney, and this is not any attempt to steal any of their copyrighted material. What it is is a conversation about some of the tools and the theories and themes that they have, especially for service and especially how they treat their customers, or they refer to as guests, and how they treat their employees, who they refer to as cast members. So uh, this is not an endorsement by Disney, but I am talking about some things that have come from a colleague of mine Uh, Len Milbauer, Len is, and that's with two N's, L-E-N-N, Milbauer, M-I-L-L-B-O-W-E-R. Len is a Disney aficionado. He worked for Disney for, I think, over 25 years as a trainer for them, and his nickname is The Mouse Man. He has a website called offbeattraining.com. So if you take a look at offbeattraining.com, you'll find Len, you'll find his books. Uh, He has a book called Care Like a Mouse, which is quite entertaining and, and fun to read. He and I have worked together over the years and I have referred him to some of my library clients to do customer service training and they have enjoyed it uh, immensely. So when you think about this conversation about the Disney way and you consider that Disneyland has been in existence both in Los Angeles and Anaheim and in Orlando, Florida for over 50 years, probably coming on 60 years now, they do a lot of things correctly. So one of the things that I was first thinking about with Walt Disney when it comes to service, is really a brief 18 word um, um, sentence that he said. And, and as Len Milbauer said on his website, it's simple, it's elegant, and, and it's profound. He says, uh, Disney here speaking, Walt Disney, do what you do so well that they will want to see it again and bring their friends. So think about this from the Disney perspective do what you do so well at Disneyland that they will want to see it again, they'll come back and to bring their friends. And think about this from the library's point of view as well. You say, what do we do here that we do it so well? That word of mouth becomes part of our mission as well, that people hear about from other folks who have had successful uh, interactions with our staff and our materials at the library, and they tell other people, and that grows our visitors, and it grows the number of people who come in and, and. get exposed to a wide variety of materials that you can provide to the library besides just books and the Internet. So think about that phrase, do what you do so well. So that's a, an internal staff supervisor perspective to be good at our jobs that they will want to see it again, meaning they want to come back and that their experiences will be uh, on a repeat basis because they were treated well and the facility was clean and safe and organized and service oriented and the people there made them feel comfortable and welcome. And then, and then the last part, bring their friends. Think about how that could be connected to their parents, their their school chums, if they're students, uh, other kids, uh, other uh, elderly people that they meet through church or senior centers or things like that, where they talk up and talk about what went on so well at the library. So I really like that that 18 word phrase. And I think that's a good driver for our conversation about what we want to look at as the Disney way for customer service and how we can apply some of those same techniques, same ideas, same cultural or work cultural um, uh, modalities to your library from this discussion and look at how you can apply it to your employees and the things that are happening in your library. And also, if you're a frontline employee, how do you apply these things to yourself individually and how do you trickle them down, explain them, model them, coach them, discuss them with your coworkers? And so for Disney, one of the first things that he started with as a cultural um, um, center point for his organization is safety. And he said, dreams are made of safety. We practice safe behaviors in everything we do. We always put safety first in our organization, and we speak up to ensure the safety of our cast members, our employees, and our guests. So think about it as you are considering a safe library. Is it hazards? Is it trip hazards? Is it lighting? Is it things spilled on the floor? Is it the behavior of certain patrons that's that could be scaring other folks? Is it that we are making sure that there's no hazards that kids can get into um, in any part of our facility where we have cleaning materials or hazmat or anything like that? Um, Are there any kind of hazards that we need to talk to our Um, uh, maintenance staff about, things like that. So safety is one of his first drivers. Second one, and this one certainly makes sense, have common courtesy. We take courtesy seriously. We project a positive image and we project positive energy. Um, We're courteous and respectful to our guests and they use guests with a capital G or we could say patrons with a capital P. We go above and beyond to exceed our guests' expectations, or in our world, we go above and beyond to exceed our patrons' expectations. I have talked in other webinars and in podcasts like this one about the value of survey data and how we ask or need to ask more questions of what the patron's experience wants to be. Uh, One of the future podcasts that I will do, either a podcast or an article or perhaps even both, is a conversation about what could be called the customer value model. The customer value model was what we believe, if we make an educated guess at it, what patrons want when they come into our facility. And there's probably about a, six or seven or eight key core themes that patrons want when they come into the library. Well, so we'll talk about that. So the idea of, of courtesy and being serious about courtesy and, and the idea that when people come in, there is an expectation that they have a positive experience and that there's nothing that that we do which will intentionally try to ruin that experience. And in fact, we try to make sure that experience is seamless and flawless and error-free and filled with opportunities for us to do well, which turns back into that piece where they recommend and refer our library to other people in the community. Um, Show up and be ready and be what Disney calls show ready, which means in your costume, which is what they call their uniforms, and ready to work. And so think about as our employees come to work, are they rested, have had coffee and and breakfast or lunch and are ready to put in a full day? and are presentable and following our dress code and have an appearance which suggests that they've got some good sleep and are energetic throughout the work day. It can be tough to be on your feet. It can be tough to sit behind a desk all day. It can be tough to have a high human contact job where you talk to lots of people. Are you ready for that experience? So this is what Disney calls being show ready. They refer to how the the guests are seeing the employees or the cast members in a performance. And that's why they call what they wear, not necessarily uniforms, but but um, you know their, their costumes. And so when you think about that, it's an environment, it's an expectation that you are show up on time and ready to work. We've all worked with people who come to work two minutes before they're supposed to clock in and they rush around and then they spend the first 20 minutes trying to get organized at work. And then we've met people who get there an hour early and get all ready to go out to work and then go to work early even because they're excited or that's just their habit. So I'm not saying that you work for free, but there's a balance between coming to work just in time to rush around and, and be sort of frazzled when you get out onto the floor or ready to answer the telephone or ready to to speak to patrons. But, but that happy medium of being ready, on time, wearing your name tag and and the other things that you need to do your job correctly and safely, and that you're ready to step out on the floor at the appointed time you're supposed to go to work, and so that you start work on time and you finish work on time. Um, Think about efficiency. Uh, Disney loved efficiency, the idea that we perform our roles, our work roles, efficiently so that people get the most out of their time with us. We value their time. We use their time and, and correctly and as safely and, and efficiently as possible. We try to, if you go to a Disneyland, Disney they move you through as quickly as they can. Can we help patrons by moving through the library experience, showing them things that they want to look at, showing them things that they need from the technology side, computers, laptops, tablets, games, things like that, so that we don't waste their time and we make efficient use of our time as well. So he also had a sense of kind of uh, merriment or whimsy if you want to think about it when they talked about the Disney seven service guidelines. Well, anytime you think about seven in the Disney environment, it's got to be the dwarves, right? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and so he's got seven guidelines, Walt Disney, about the service experience with his employees. And when you think about all the folks that work at Disney that have a a guest contact perspective. They see the guests, they operate the rides, they're out on the on the Disneyland operational area, you know, selling food or giving tour guide, you know, being a tour guide or operating the rides as as part of the cast members and things like that. And then you think of the myriad of people at Disneyland who work behind the scenes. Sometimes they come in in on the graveyard shift, they never see anybody who is a guest to do the cleaning and the maintenance and the gardening. Uh, You never see that happen during the the day unless there's an emergency. All that stuff takes place, painting and and landscaping and things at nighttime when no one is there from the guest side. So if you think about these seven rules, how do we apply them into the library environment as well? And let's have a little fun when we think about the seven Dwarves. First one, be happy. Uh, Make eye contact and smile. That's a, a watchword and a driver for the customer service experience at Disneyland. And I've talked about it a lot in my library work as well that eye contact is a safety thing from my perspective and it's also a vigilance thing for the employees to look and see what's going on. And it it's, it suggests a professional service orientation when we make careful appropriate eye contact with people that we come across as patrons so whether we see them as they walk in the door as they pass us by I don't think you have to have a, a two-hour conversation with everybody that walks in the building but the idea that you're approachable that you're have that you have that kind of friendly approach uh, on your face in terms of your body language that that eye contact is a human condition that just simply recognizes other people as they go through the facility as they go through the library number two be like sneezy greet and welcome every customer spread the spirit of hospitality it's contagious well uh, we think about the pandemic during words like spread and contagious i think uh, this was written certainly before the pandemic was a concern for walt disney but the idea that 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 uh, sneezy is kind of an over-the-top character recognizable character sort of draws a lot of attention to himself with his allergies Uh, uh, greet and welcome every patron, spread the spirit of our library hospitality, and and try to create an environment in the building and in each of the rooms in our building, whether it's particular departments or areas, where there's a sense of service, there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of of welcoming to people that come in, all ages, all sizes, everybody. Third one, don't be bashful. Uh, Seek out guest contact. And so I've had this conversation with many library people, and I, I fall into the category myself, which is being a, an introvert in a high human contact job. Sometimes being in the library is a high human contact job. It can be tiring. It can be difficult to have as much energy at the beginning of the day and also have that same energy at the end of the day if you have a high human contact job and a transactional job where you're processing you know, books and transactions with people throughout the day. Um, to have that kind of energy at the beginning of the day is, is difficult to have at the end of the day if you don't think about it. So this idea of, of seeking out guest contact as an introvert in the library world can be difficult. And so you may have colleagues who are extroverts and they feed off people. They get energy off people. And so their encounters with the patrons tend to be energizing for them. And especially a lot of them. If you go through a, a lot of experiences with people in this, you know, in the transactional nature of our job, they get energy off those transactions. Whereas the introverts typically do not. So I always say, if I'm, you're an introvert, you know, the first thing you want to do when you get home is take a nap. If you're an extrovert, the first thing you want to do is go out and you know, have coffee or cocktails or dinner with somebody that you can talk about your day. When you look at the library world in terms of the employees, I would make a educated guess that a good percentage of people higher than over half or more than 50 percent of the library employees are introverted and oftentimes they get into library work because it's quiet and it is it is a peaceful environment most of the time and there is a perception I guess from non-library people that we just sit around reading books and magazines and watching videos all day of course we don't we work quite hard in the the service uh, experience but the idea of being introverted sometimes gives you that sort of rationalization which is I don't have to engage with people I don't have to talk to people, I can just go and sit over here and do my work, look at my computer screen, look at my, my papers, You know, process the things that I have to do, and the only time I'm going to engage with people is when I have to. And I think as, as, as a lifelong introvert myself, I have to gear up uh, for my interactions with people, and whether it's training or a sales discussion or a client call or something I do in front of a small group of people or a large group of people, it's kind of like a performance for me. I've got to gear up and be ready to do that work. And I ask the same thing of library people if they're in that introvert category, they've self-selected themselves into an introvert, that they gear up and are ready to, quote, perform, unquote, like a Walt Disney character, an employee, right, would do uh, in the service environment where you say, the patron doesn't care if you're tired and your feet hurt and you want to go home. The patron wants what he or she wants. They want attention, they want information, they want support, they want guidance, they want training. They want to be pointed where they need to go, or sometimes they want to be left alone as well. But well, When you think about being an introvert in a high human contact job, there's sort of a disconnect there. And So you have to be ready. And I talk a lot in my training programs about being on stage and, and giving a performance. And sometimes if you think about the complexities and technical difficulties and the challenging patrons that we have, it can be tiring and that you have to role play it a little bit and be energetic when you don't feel energetic, and be enthusiastic when you don't necessarily feel enthusiastic. And again, most patrons are pretty self-centered, as we all are in the customer experience, where we don't care about whether you're tired or not, whether you want to go home. We just care about getting our needs met. And so I, I often talk about the desire, especially for introverted people, to step on the gas pedal and ramp it up a little bit and be ready to perform, and to be ready to demonstrate some more extroverted, extroversion characteristics in interactions with patrons. Number four, be like Doc. Provide immediate service recovery. Doc fixes things, right? Doc's a, a repair person of the, of the human body and the human soul in the, in the Seven Dwarfs. So Disney's talking here about a concept called service recovery, which I have discussed in detail for my, my service programs in the library as well, which is service recovery is our ability to fix what is broken, whether we broke it or the, or the patron broke it. It's our ability to fix a bad service situation that resulted in a misunderstanding or an error or a problem that we troubleshoot, that we fix, that we recover the patron's business. And so the easiest example for service recovery is the things that we can do to make it easier for the patron to feel like we did something on his or her behalf. And if you still collect fines at your library and we made a mistake in some way when it comes to fines, we waive them for that particular patron. If there's something that we do that, that we charge a fee for and we've given the patron the runaround and it's turned into a big hassle, we waive the fee and the patron can enroll in the program or his or her kids can enroll in the program for free. Things like that. Those are service recovery steps. They don't always involve money, but sometimes they involve uh, an action that we do from the employee side where we make it easier. We, we uh, you know unburden the patron from things that relate to fees and costs and, and hassle factors and things like that where we make a concerted effort to recover their business and to recover that service situation so that when they think about it, they, they realize, whether it's a strong realization or, or a, a modest one, that we were working on their behalf. The best examples of service recovery are in service type businesses like restaurants and banks and hotels and things like that, credit card companies where you call up and there's obviously been some sort of misunderstanding or error on your part or their part, and especially if it's on the part of the organization where they say, we'll take care of that for you. Um, I'll give you an example from my own world. I bought some tires uh, for my car about a year and a half ago, and one of the tires ran over something, you know, Missouri's full of junk in the road, and I ran over something sharp and popped one of the tires. So I took it to the tire place, the, the, the tire store that I always use, where I did not buy these original tires out, I bought the tires at the dealer. But I said, can you replace this tire with, you know, and an, is it fixable based on what I've run over? Can you replace it? They said, it's not fixable because of where it is on the on the sidewall. And so we have to replace the tire. I said, okay, great. So they gave me some options for what tire to replace. And the guy that sold me the tire, and I only needed one, did not say that the best practice would be to buy the exact same tire that I had before because of the way they're cut and the sizing differences and things like that. He just put another tire of... Of that size on there. Well for months I drove around and the car would pull to the right and there was a vibration and I thought maybe it's something I hit or ran over or something wrong with the with the you know the tire rods or the axles or something like that or the balance or the alignment. And finally I took the car back to the dealer a couple months ago and they said one of these tires is not the right one for this car. And so I went back to the original uh, tire guys that sold me that one tire, talked to the manager and he said you know you're right uh, we shouldn't have put this tire on there. We should have put the one that matched the other ones, and we'll take care of it for you. And I said, um, what does that mean? He said, uh, you know, just pay for the uh, mounting and balance fee, and we'll take care of it, and we'll put a, a new right kind of tire on there. That's a perfect example of service recovery. I thanked him for it. They put the tire on uh, last Tuesday, and the car runs perfectly straight now. So when you think about at a bar or a restaurant, you're you're waiting for your food, you're waiting for your your meal, you're waiting for drinks or whatever, and things are backed up, and these days with the pandemic and COVID and whatnot, it's tough to get staffing, full staffing at restaurants and things, and the manager comes by and says, we're a little backed up in the kitchen, uh, free drinks, free appetizer for your dessert's on us, and you go, okay, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt for having to wait a little bit, and because you have done something to, quote, recover our business. So this concept of service recovery is a powerful one, and you may think about in the library, You say, well, you know, we can't give people, you know, a, a laptop off the shelf if we screwed something up. We, we don't just hand them a, 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 you know, a tablet and say, here you go. What, what are some of the opportunities for us to create service recovery? Some things don't necessarily have to have, and it's a great question. Some things don't necessarily have to have a financial incentive for the patron. It could be a, a service thing that you do which makes their path easier. You say um, I'll handle this for you so the next time you come in it's not an issue. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and do some paperwork and I'll enter some data into the computer so that so this issue is not an issue anymore. Things like that. So one thing if you're an employee or a supervisor talk amongst each other at staff meetings about your Opportunities to create service recovery. So, what are the systems things that we can improve upon? What are the financial things that we can improve upon? What are some of the rewards we can give to patrons when we have made an error about something? We've we've uh, misconstrued a situation, or we've acted, um, uh, you know, sort of out of scope in terms of maybe we lost our temper or something in some situation with a kid or something like that. What do we do to recover the business of that parent? What do we do to change their perception that? that we are actually trying to make their next visit enjoyable here, so what do we do? So I think as a staff meeting conversation, it would be useful to sit down and think about what are some of the things where we have flexibility, where we have some discretion. Now we don't wanna give away the store, we're not trying to bankrupt the library, but what are some of the things where we have some free will, some, some discretion to say we can waive this, we can change this, we can give this to somebody uh, for free, we can, we can make this. Um, the path for the patron easier for when they do business with us. We can give them some kind of coupon or discount to a program or something like that. We can put them at the top of the list for the next program when it comes around again, whatever that happens to be. So be creative and think of those ways where service recovery is something that you can put as a tool in your service toolkit. Number five, don't be grumpy. Uh, Display appropriate body language at all times. And I would also add in their tone. So think of the tone that you use when you're frustrated. Think of the tone you use when you're tired. Think of the tone you use when you're feeling a little condescending. Sir, the library closes in 15 minutes. I don't know if you knew that, but it's time to go. You know that kind of tone? Uh, We see people do this when they're tired. Uh, I typically don't see that condescending tone at the beginning of the workday. I see it at the end of the workday quite a lot. You can be that way over the telephone. You can sigh (sighs) over the phone when people hear that. And that condescending sigh is like you're bothering me, or this situation is b- bothering me or wasting my time, leaks out of you. So think about how important the things that we already talked about, like eye contact and body language and tone, when it comes to the patron's perspective of the services they're giving. Are we bo- are we are we seem like we're bothering the, the, the patron, like patron's bothering us, and, and we're being distracted by the fact that we're tired, we want to go home? Or are we creating that service experience where we say, you know. I'm tired, I want to go home, but it's not going to leak out of me. I'm not going to let condescension or my weariness leak out of me. I'm going to have just as much energy and enthusiasm for this customer patron experience that I do at the end of the workday as I did at the beginning. So the idea of body language and tone and focusing on, on, on being, especially when you're tired of body language neutral and tone neutral, not where you're talking like a robot or acting like a robot. But nothing that's of a condescending nature or a dismissive nature or an irritated nature is leaking out of you. And so, you know, this starts with things that we've all think about with body language, like crossed arms and rolling your eyes, and and things that even a child, you know, a very young child, picks up those same characteristics because they've seen it in in their parents. So when we, we talk to people, you know, where we talk down to them, or we're condescending, or we have that tone or body language that suggests that they're bothering us, that stuff is pretty identifiable for a lot of people. And it's critical that even when you feel that way, that's not what comes out. That's where we get back into the idea of a performance and this body language neutral, tone neutral, where you say my inner feelings, emotions about this situation. And you could also apply this to when patrons are being difficult, when they're being uh, rude, when they're being obstinate. And when they're being hard to deal with and and challenging for you and argumentative and even hostile. And you say, okay, I'm not going to let this person's tone, body language, behavior of a negative perspective ruin my day, ruin my night. And I'm not going to engage in the same behaviors myself. I'm going to be above that. I'm going to be a service professional. Six, be like Sleepy. Uh, Don't sleep at work, but create dreams and preserve the magical guest experience. So, create dreams and preserve the magical patron experience. That's a pretty lofty phrase. But what what I think we're talking about there is the idea that we can impact and touch a lot of people in the library environment, perhaps, that have not thought about the library as a place to be, uh, maybe it's an adult, a blue-collar guy that, that's never come to the library but suddenly realizes there's lots of things there that that are kind of interesting about these hobbies and things that he enjoys doing outside of work. Or getting help, getting a new job is not something he realized the library could help him do with resumes and email and things like that. But probably the larger, more identifiable way to sort of build dreams and, and help people with their dreams is, is kids. And whether it's a high school student or a junior high student or, or a, a K-6 student, or it's a really young kid, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's just learning to read and who is brought in by their parents or caregivers or a babysitter or a brother or a sister or something like that, where we say, we, we have an opportunity here to change this kid's life by exposing him or her to really cool books, really cool periodicals and games and and activities and things that that this kid can do at the library who says, wow, not only did I not know this existed in my little kid world, but this is wicked fun and I want to do it again. And so I think about my own experience in the library. My parents would take me to the library in downtown San Diego when I was a little kid and they would say, you know, we'll see you in a couple hours. And whatever limit was on the books back then, I think it was five or six books you could check out. I always got the five or six books that I could do right up to the limit. My parents never said, you know, you don't want to read that or those are too many books or you're never going to finish all that. They said, great, let's get those, and and that's what we did. So my love of books and reading came from my parents, which in turn, of course, if you read Stephen King talking about writing, made me a better writer. And so I believe that I am a good writer and a good speller and a good user of grammar, not necessarily because I have an English degree, but because I was exposed so early to the library and books really at a young age for me were were great companions and i talked to my pals uh, and we all were book readers as kids as well and it was awesome so think about where we have an opportunity to change somebody's perspective of the library especially uh, adults who don't think the library is even necessary uh, because of google and the fact that we can change their perspective by looking at having them seeing programs that we offer Things related to literacy and immigration and and community programs and and substance abuse and and uh, sports and activities and exposure to groups or or facebook groups that meet there all the things that libraries do where we provide an opportunity for people to learn about sports and hobbies and and things that they love to do and to meet with like-minded adults or get kids together in the student environment and the homework environment and learning environment so that we make an impact and we're not trying to rescue every kid we're not trying to uh, re-educate every kid about the value of the library they're all not going to love it the way we do but there are going to be some kids who say this place is where i want to spend my time and more than just because I have to because of homework or because I'm waiting for my parents to pick me up or whatever, but because there's something here for me that I'm gonna find useful, educational, enjoyable. Seven, don't be like dopey. Thank every guest, thank every patron. And I talk about um, one of the um, acronyms that we oftentimes see in the service environment is something called LAST which stands for listen, apologize, solve and thank. Listen to the patron, ask questions, solve the presenting issue and thank them for their patience and thank them for coming in even, and this is the tough part, even when they don't have uh, nice things to say about us or they're dismissive or they walk away. Uh, I, I've talked to lots of library people who said, I worked with this, this patron for two, two hours on, a, on a, a software project or something related to the internet you know, helping them fill out forms and resumes and things, and they didn't even say thank you. And I say, okay, that's unfortunate. But the bigger picture is you did your job as a professional. You made an impact on that person, whether they want to admit it or not, and you demonstrated your skills to somebody who, unfortunately, didn't have the wherewithal to thank you for what you did, but it matters. So this idea of thanking people, um, again, we have to be a little careful on the condescension piece. Thanks for coming in, ma'am. We don't say it that way. But sometimes when people are upset, say thanks for your patience, um, thanks for letting me help you. I hope I was able to to answer the questions for you. If not, you know, next time you come in, I'm, we can talk about it again, and and um, and I can get some other additional information or 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 ask my colleagues uh, what what their approach might be. I mean, something like that, which at least you would hope leads the patron to say thanks for the help, thanks for the support, thanks for, for spending the time with me. And most of them do. But for the ones that don't, that's okay. You knew that you were being a service professional and you were providing the, the best information, the best skills, the best knowledge, the transfer of knowledge to them that you could. So when you think about the Disney approach, if you get past the dwarves and things like that, happy, uh, sneezy, bashful, doc, grumpy, sleepy, and dopey, if you get into the sort of themes that he's talking about, it's pretty common sense, isn't it? And the reason it's common sense is because it's easy to transfer and transmit. It's easy to teach people in the Disney employee, brand new employees, cast members, it's easy to teach people that are becoming Disney employees this approach. And there's quite an orientation that goes through for all this so that it's memorable for them so that they make it memorable for the guests. So think about as a supervisor, a leader, a director, what kind of trickle down of these service reminders, these service sort of you know a lighter touch on the service piece and we're not we're not browbeating our employees to treat people better but but encouraging them to have kind of a lighter touch this this Disney approach is certainly a lighter touch and if you're an employee what can you take from our conversation here to say what do I need to do to fine-tune my own skills where am I a little bit deficient maybe in terms of eye contact or body language or thanking people and what are my my best practices that I can take from not only the Disney model but my coworkers and my colleagues and my bosses so thanks for your time and attention. Thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Hargadon from Library 2.0. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast.